You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley titled Joy Through Life from the series Character Counts. For more info, visit creekside.org. I love our nation. The more I travel overseas, the, 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 the more excited I am to get home on terra firma. We have this thing that started 240 years ago, this kind of social experiment in the pursuit of happiness. And we see the formation of it for our country in this document that you'll see up here. We're all familiar with this, aren't we? The Declaration of Independence. The second stanza that many of us know simply says this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they would be endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Is, is, is it really a pursuit for happiness? I love that. Life is guaranteed. Liberty is guaranteed. Happiness, joy, pursue it. And good luck. <laughs> Isn't that kind of how we live? For a couple of centuries now, our country's done this kind of social experiment for happiness, trying to find out what will make us happy. What do people do today? There's really two avenues that most people pursue, and especially one, to find happiness and to see, you know, to get this thing, happiness and joy in their lives. And they, do, they, they, they really pursue cultural things and religion. It seems everywhere we go now today, have you ever noticed that uh, you turn on the TV, you go by the magazine rack, um, you listen to somebody. They have all these steps, you know, 20 steps to joy, 15 steps to joy, seven steps to joy, two steps to joy. Have you ever looked at some of those, read them, and said, I'm going to try it, and you found out it didn't work? I have. So today I want to give you 15 steps to experience joy. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. This is what I've learned, that joy, as most of these things that we started talking about, really are an inside job, and it's because they become connected to a person, not necessarily to general principles. There's a lot of joy thieves in our lives. I don't know about you, but it's tough to maintain joy when things are going bad, or you wake up in the morning and you listen to Bad Morning American, you start your day with information on crime, murder, mayhem, and the Kardashian tribulations. If that news isn't enough, you head to work, you turn on the radio, and you hear the traffic, how far it's backed up, and the wrecks that have taken place, and you know you're going to be sitting in traffic on your way to work. Then you get to work, you have an incredibly stressful day. Then you come home at night, you turn on the TV to relax, and then you're dealing with all this political stuff that's going on. All of these candidates and what they're saying and what they're doing and how they're acting. And then you get the last part of the news, and what do you get? You get more murder and mayhem and cable stuff. And you put your head on the tip, uh, on your pillow, and you go, whoa, why am I so stressed? You know, why, why, why am I just not enjoying life? There's no joy, and I'm, and I'm just stressed. And then you finally maybe fall off to sleep. And then you wake up the next day, and you feel imprisoned by the same process. 
I want to look at a guy who was in prison. His name is the Apostle Paul. And if you turn to the book of Philippians, I just want to uh, touch on a passage in there, and we'll be looking there next week as well. But Philippians chapter 4, he's in prison. And he's writing to some of his friends and to this church at Philippi. This is my favorite book of the Bible because it's usually where I turn when I'm going through a difficult season. I need to rem be reminded that joy really is one of the inalienable rights of a Christ follower. And, um, and Paul is talking to these people and he begins to give them some, some things that he says, these are going to steal your joy. So you need to face them, address them. I want to talk about some of those things today. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says this. Now rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Why are you frowning this morning? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your graciousness, I love that, let your graciousness be known to everyone because the Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God so that the peace of God which surpasses every thought and comprehension, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is writing from a cell. He's in cell block number nine, and much of the writings that he did, which is about two-thirds of many of those writings, two-thirds of the New Testament that he did, were from a prison cell. And this book of Philippians, it literally bleeds with this word joy and rejoice. It is filled with the idea that we deal with our mind and our mindset, and that all of those things begin to affect our ability to experience this wonderful, gracious fruit of the Spirit called joy. So he's isolated in a, small in a small cell. He's away from the church. He's away from people, and he's away from loved ones. Nothing good is going on in his life. And we see the first thing here that he talks about and addresses is our circumstances. And I love this translation. It's in your notes there. The New Living Translation, it says this, Always be full of joy in the Lord, I will say again. Rejoice. See, it's easy to have joy when everything's going well, but it's pretty hard to have joy in difficult circumstances when circumstances aren't working our way. What do we do? What do we pursue? Well, we pursue a lot of things. Some of us, well, probably not any of you, I know, but some people out there in the world, when they, when they, when they lose their joy or their happiness, they'll pursue something. So they'll think, well, let's go bar hopping. You know, maybe I'll just go and hang around with some other unhappy people that are trying to find joy and maybe somehow we'll bring joy together and that never works does it some of us we have a difficult time at our job and we say well I got to pursue another job and sometimes that's right sometimes that's good I, I don't have a problem with that but sometimes we do it as an escape and that's and and we find we get this other job and we pursue it and what happens oh man I didn't do it either that's what our culture does. It teaches us to pursue and to change our circumstances. Paul says this in Philippians 1.21 as he's talking about the circumstances that he's facing. He says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And in that language, there's an interesting thing that's taken place. There's almost a cadence to the way that he says it. To live is Christ, to die is gain. 
to live as Christ, to die as gay, to live as Christ, to die as gay. There's almost this cadence that he's saying, it's a win-win for me. I love that. Because sometimes we forget about that, that our whole life, it isn't about us because our whole culture, when they pursue things, it's about them and what they want, not what God wants. And so we've got to make sure that we're, we're pursuing what God wants because we live for Christ. And see, Paul has this eternal perspective in his temporal circumstances, doesn't he? While I'm here, I'm in a jail, it's going to be for Christ. Because it doesn't matter what happens here because ultimately I get to go and experience the ultimate gain of dying and being with Christ. Paul says, I'm here, but guess what? Christ is in here with me. And with him, that transcends anything that I'm facing in my circumstances. The second thing that Paul deals with that he says is going to be a joy, major joy stealer is people. And you'll see it in chapter 2. Where in chapter 1 he says people are pressing me. In chapter 2 he kind of gives the antidote. See, it's hard to be joyful, isn't it, when we're dealing with difficult people. (laughs) Isn't that true? Now here's the deal. Sometimes when we're dealing with difficult people, this is almost a sidebar, you've got to make sure, what is your part in that? Because sometimes we're always dealing with difficult people, and again, we forget that sometimes maybe we're part of that issue. But let's, let's say like Paul, it's unjust, and, and people are pressing you. They're criticizing you. They're rubbing you the wrong way. They frustrate you. They raise your blood pressure, your stress level. They cause you to lose sleep at night, and they just gave you these on, give you these ongoing Maalox moments, you know? You ever had anybody like that? Kind of reminds me, did you, ever, did you read about the truck driver? He, was, he went in this restaurant, he just sat down the corner, and he ordered a plate of spaghetti and a, and a mug of beer, and he was eating, minding his own business, and all of a sudden, these hell's angels, they come in, 14 of them, they come marching into the restaurant, they roar up, and they come in, and they just kind of, you know, they're big presence, and they're owning the place. And one of the guys, one of the hell's angels, he looks at this guy over in the corner, and he just walks over to him, picks up his plate of spaghetti, pours it on his head, picks up his mug of beer, and just pours it in his lap. And this guy's sitting there, and he doesn't seem to get too upset or too riled. I mean, you know, I guess who would against 14 hell's angels? But he just kind of cleans himself off. He goes over to the waiter behind the uh, cash register, and he pays his bill. Doesn't seem to be too upset, and he walks out. Hell's angels guy walks over to the, to the waiter, and he goes, <laughs> yeah, not much of a man, isn't he? He's kind of a coward. He goes, yeah, he's not a very good driver either because he just ran over 14 Harleys. <laughs> <laughs> Have you, have you ever noticed how, how people can just, you know, they kind of, they, they, they can, they can kind of drive you crazy, can't they? Well, Paul says this, don't let him steal your joy. He says, you know what, begin to develop this attitude. Do nothing out of rivalry, competition, or conceit, but in humility considers others more important than yourselves. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who says, I'm going to humble myself, I'm going to serve I'm going to love. I'm going to give. Because God always uses people, loved ones, to refine us and to shape us and to build character in us and through us that looks more and more like Christ. He also says in chapter 3, there's going to be things. People in our culture are going to simply pursue things. They're going to pursue possessions. 
I mean, don't we see it in advertising? We see, what do we see in advertising? Probably 90% of the time, either some just really foxy hummer of a gal or some hunk of a guy. And the subtle inferences is buy our stuff and you'll be happy. I was reading, I get four or five different periodicals and um, just this last week I was thumbing through one of them. It's funny because they had this really hunk guy uh, in briefs. And the idea, I think, is, you know what, if life is tough, get some new undergarments. Get some new briefs. And I was thinking, hey, you know what? Maybe new briefs will deal with all the griefs that I have, you know? And, 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 and it's, but, but that's the whole thing. Go out and get something. Buy something. Maybe for some of us, it's, well, I'm going to pursue new technology that sends you, like, news and updates. And how often do we get those? You know, I open up mine, and sometimes, like, it's a lot of times, it's just celebrity news and trash. So you look at that, and you're looking at your depressing life, and you say, oh, well, so-and-so just went into rehab, and you go, oh, wow, I feel a lot better. And so we're pursuing all these things. We begin to compare ourselves, and we feel better about ourselves. It's like the guy who was talking to his girlfriend, and he says to her, he says, honey, listen, I can't promise you a nice boat. I can't give you a big house. I can't, I can't purchase a Rolex, a nice car, and jewelry, and all of these things like Johnny Green can. But honey, I'm going to promise you this. I will love you with all my love all my life. And she looks at him and she goes, I love you too. But could you tell me just a little bit more about Johnny Green? <laughs> <laughs> See, we, 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 we live in that kind of a culture. It doesn't matter what we got over here. If there's something else over here maybe that we want or we could pursue, and we think that's going to bring joy. But we understand, don't we? I mean, it lasts as long as the new car smell. It lasts as long until something begins to break down. Paul says in Philippians 3.19, he says, these people, they're focused on earthly things. But our citizenship, our life, our focus, the gravitational pull of who we are is that we are citizens of heaven. And that's where we're going. I love what somebody said. It says, small men seek to get a little more. Great men seek to be a little more. And see, that's really what we're doing in this series is, is we have a different focus. is because we want to become what God wants us. That's our pursuit is Jesus. And not things. Another one is worry, and we, we saw that in chapter four. It's really about anxiety about the future and things that we can't control. How often are we thinking about, I want to have this, I want to control that, I want to get this, and sometimes it doesn't happen. So we begin to hang our hopes on someone or something, and we'll say things like this when I meet that person and I fall in love, I'll get married. Then I'll have kids. Or for some of us, it might be, oh man, when, when, I, when I finish college, I get my degree. When I make my money, when I get my house, when I get my job, when I get my promotion, when that person or thing comes into my life, that will be the source of my joy. And we begin to hang our hopes on that. And so we begin, that begins to be our future focus. But, but what if it never happens? I'll let you in on a little secret. We may not all get married. We may not all be able to make babies. We may not all be able to be millionaires. We may not be able to 
leave this life without significant physical pain or issues. We don't all have perfect relationships. Many of us won't get to say, and I lived happily ever after. What if I don't meet that person, that significant other? What if I don't have those children? What if I don't finish college and get that degree? What if I don't get to buy my dream house? Get that second vacation house. Get that job. Keep my health. Obtain that wealth. You know what happens? It's what happens throughout our culture as we pursue all of these things and we worry about them and stress over them. We become grieved and despairing because your hope and joy was out there and it never came. See, loved ones, we need to make a distinction between desire and discontent. Desire really is good. God wants you to desire things. He wants you to desire that, that falling in love and being committed to one person for your life, paying your bills, being healthy, living a fruitful life. Those are good desires, but when you flip those, and you begin to experience discontent because those things haven't come about and it begins to diminish your joy, well, what you're really saying is I won't be happy until I get those things. That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, godliness with contentment is of great gain. That there's a sense of contentedness, and Paul's going to talk about this in Philippians 4. He says, I'm content whether I'm rich or poor. And I've known both. He says, whether I've got food or I don't, I've known both and I'm content. Whether everybody's pressing me and pinching me against or pushing me against a wall or everybody's loving me, I'm content. And I've learned the secret of it. And it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, there's nothing wrong with desire and contentment. They're healthy. But if we have desire without contentment, what do we experience? Discontentment. Then we constantly set ourselves up to worry about those things in the future that we not only can't control, but we don't know what's going to happen. <clears throat> and it leads to disappointment and discouraged, discouragement in a joyless life. Now let's go the other way. What if... We do get that person, that new car, those things that our joy seems to be hung on. What happens then? How many of us have gotten a, you know, bought a new car and we just rude the day that we did it because it causes nothing but money, trouble, and inconvenience? Or how about some of us, don't raise your hand, but some of us, you got married and you were thinking, I'll be happy when I get married. And then you got married and then you realized, I'm not so happy. I'm experiencing much more conflict, much more difficulty than I ever thought I would experience or ever did as a single. And then it hits you. I'm a sinner. They are a sinner. And there's all these problems. Guess what they're thinking? Probably the same thing. See, we can't hang uh, all of our pursuits on all of these cultural things. 
And you know, loved ones, there's this whole section of Christianity today. It's been around for a number of decades now, but it seems to be kind of peaking again because of some different cultural things. But this segment of Christianity has this thinking that said our joy is found in the same cultural pursuits. Get rich, get healthy, be happy. That's the equation. Health, wealth, and prosperity. You know what I'm really saying? It's saying that basically Christianity and Christians have nothing else to offer different from other non-Christians, the culture of this world, or other religions. Hear me, I'm not at war at these things, on these things. You know me. I say it all the time. I don't care what you drive. I hope you have the nicest car that you can get. I hope you have the nicest house, the nicest clothes, the sweetest kids, all of those things. Here's the deal. But don't let them become the pursuit of your life and the goal of your life where it would supersede pursuing Jesus and all that he has for you. Because you think once you get that place, that thing, that person, oh, who? Narvana. There's a scripture, I believe it's in Psalm 106, and it says that, that the, the children of Israel, they were, they were palavering. They, they, they just, they were, God, give us this, give us this, give us this. Give me that, give me that, give me that. And finally God said, okay, and he gives it to them. And there's this wonderful statement, it says, and once they received it, it gave them leanness of soul. How many people do we see that? They get to the top. They get to the heap. They get what they want. And then they go, huh. And now they got to find something else. They got to pursue something else that will bring joy. That's cultural, but it creeps into the church. And there is no cultural answer, and there is, there's no religious answer. There's only a spiritual answer. Christ answer. Now, before I get to a couple of other things, I want to say this, because I don't want anybody here leaving today frustrated, and I want you to know how our, what, what I believe is the leader pastor of this church, and I don't want people to go home frustrated and disappointed with this time this morning. The World Health Organization estimates that 19, millions America, 19 million Americans are suffering from some form of depression. Over 50 million of us will deal with it at some point in our lifetime. Depression is one of the four major diseases that physicians have labeled as mood disorders, uh, just as, as diabetes deals with the body's uh, regulation of sugar. Depression has to do with the brain's failure uh, to be able to regulate chemicals that control mood, uh, control our moods. Studies have found that depression can be more physically and emotionally disabling than arthritis, diabetes, lung disease, chronic back problems and hypertension. This is a significant thing. It's funny, I woke up this last week and I was, you know, I'm going through some of these breathing things and I was struggling this morning and I woke up and I go, oh, God, I don't want to get up. I don't feel like it. And I'm usually a pretty early morning riser and I was not joyful. And all of a sudden it hit me. I got to speak on joy this week. You know, I go... <laughs> Whoa. But, but you know what the funny thing was? Is as soon as I thought of that, I thought, oh, that's right. Abide, remain. I'm going to go into my office after I get my grits and my coffee. I'm going to go sit with Christ. And I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. And it was at that point that I was able to make a decision in my mind 
to say, no, I am not going to let this diminish what I can experience today. Now, I tell you that because some of us, that's what it takes. It's a mindset because you, you, you walk with Christ. Now, hear me. What I'm talking to is another segment of people that deal with this thing called depression at a physiological level. While joylessness can often be a spiritual there's, there can be a spiritual solution to it. Sometimes there's just a physical solution, more sleep, eat right, blah, blah, blah. But there are some in this room who deal with something that is not a spiritual issue. You're dealing with a depression issue, and you may need to deal with it with a medical or psychologist or something like that. And I'm not saying go pop pills. What I'm saying is, is to, to, there's a lot of preachers, and I'm not here to argue or fight with it, but this is what I believe. Just like people in their body get cancer or diabetes. Some people in our brains, we have mental issues that we have to deal with. And just like when Trina, when she had her cancer, we didn't just go, well, bless God, he's going to heal her. We said, no, we're going to trust him to heal her. And if he has to use doctors to do it, we're going to do that. And so I believe in amalgamating the both. So hear me, when I talk about this joy thing, I don't want people here to go, Man, he doesn't live in reality because I'm dealing with this other part of it. And I say, amen, deal with it. Do the right thing. But for some of us, it really is a mindset and a spiritual condition. So if you would turn to John chapter 15 where we were last week, I want to review just a couple of things there. John chapter 15. Verse 9, we talked last week about the overriding word being remain and abide in Jesus there. We talked about what that means. If you weren't here, you might want to listen to that on, online. Verse 9 says this, is the Father has loved me. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, his brain trust here. And he says, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you, so remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. There's a little bit of a, you know, a challenge there. Do what I say, obey me. That's part of remaining in my love. Because I have kept my Father's commands and I remain in his love. Verse 11 says, I have spoken these things. What things? Everything that precedes us. He says, spoken to you about remaining, abiding, remaining in my love. So that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command now. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. I do not call you slaves anymore because a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my father. This is a focus passage that we looked at last week and the week before, Pastor Kyle, and, and that we're looking at this week and probably a little bit next week. Because this fruit is based really on remaining and living day to day in the presence and the connection of us being the branch connected to the vine, Jesus Christ. And the context of John 15, really John 13 through 16, is Jesus, his closest friends, his disciples are around him and they're depressed. They're downcast because they're hearing that Jesus is leaving them, that somebody's going to betray him, that Jesus is going to die, and then he's going to go to a place where they can't go. That is not a happy thought for friends. They were hopeless. They felt their purpose in life, and what they'd given themselves to the last three years was just going down the drain, and Jesus says to them, let me encourage you here. 
As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Now remain in my love, keep my commandments. Whose love are we to remain in Christ? Two verses later, he says, I have told you these things. Why? So that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Whose joy are we supposed to live in? Jesus's. You see, it's supposed to flow from his great love and his joy as we're abiding and living, walking with him. You know what he's kind of saying here, I think? It's almost as if Jesus is just saying, listen, guys, I am the joy machine. Plug in. Get re-energized. Stay close. Because if you'll do that, guess what? If you'll walk and understand my love and you stay connected, and I am the joy machine that I can give it, I can infuse it. And Jesus is talking about something that is more than a belly laugh and a good time. It's birthed in a positive con- confidence that you can trust God in every situation and circumstance that you're going through because that's what Jesus is saying. I'm about ready to check out and I've got incredible joy. Guess what? I want to infuse that in your life. Remember the creation narrative? God looks at his creation. What does he say? It is very good. And, and see, sometimes don't we just see God as this dour sourpuss in heaven, kind of the cosmic killjoy, looking down on us and just wanting to make life difficult for us? But he looks at his creation and he says, it is very good. You cannot understand who God is unless you understand he is the most joyous being in the universe because he created it. Zephaniah 3.17 says this, for the Lord your God is living among you. We talked about that last week. God's heart is always to be in, within, with his people. And it says he will take delight in you with gladness. Go home and tell your spouse, I delight in you with gladness and see what they do. Their eyes will go, whoa, how romantic, how sweet. And with his love, he'll calm all your fears. His love says, I can give you this calming element. And then he says this, he will rejoice over you and, with, and do it with joyful th- songs. Now think about that. That's kind of cra- you know, weird to me that God's up in heaven, you know. And somehow, in one of the translations, it's almost as if he's spinning around, doing this dance over us. I can, can you imagine that? Oh, Terry, whoo, you know, calling the angels. Hey, guys, I'm going to just do a little jig, and I'm going to just sing over Terry because I just rejoice in him or over you. That's a little hard for probably most of us guys to understand. But he's telling us that that's the love, the depth, the care that he has for us. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, PT, I hear you. You're talking about joy, 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 joy. That's really good. Does that mean I can't ever be sad? I can't grieve? I can't? Absolutely not. Because, see, we understand the full totality of who Jesus was as God. He sees and he knows sorrow. The Bible says that Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. But the sorrow of God, the sorrow of Christ, he always understood it in temporal terms because he knows it will be eliminated. He says in in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, he says what? When you get to heaven, it's not going to be dark. There's not going to be disease. There's not going to be sin. There's not going to be tears. There's not going to be sadness everything that we face here, loved ones, is temporal. And when we understand this cadence, 
to live as Christ, to die as gain. To live as Christ, to die as gain. When we live in that sense of cadence like Paul did, guess what? Everything here is in perspective and so temporal. That's the ultimate. So joy is a part of God's basic character. The Apostle Paul says this, always be full of joy. You know why? Because he knew that joy didn't mean the absence of problems. Happiness means the absence of problems. Why? Because happiness, our happiness is always based on what? The happenings. I'm happy because nothing bad is happening. But see, joy is an infusion of the life of God when we walk with him and know him. It is systemic to his presence. That's what Jesus is saying again in John 15. Love and joy are all systemic. And peace, we'll talk about next week, is systemic to who he is. It's not the removal of suffering and pain and difficulty. It is the awareness that there is the almighty God who is with you in the midst of all of our suffering and pain. And that deals away with this whole religious understanding today and cultural thing that has become more prevalent that says what? God wants you rich, happy, and healthy. I think he does, but that's not his M.O. And that's where so many people fall away and reject God because I'm not happy and I'm not wealthy and now I'm not healthy. When Jesus talked about his joy filling us, he was talking about what happens in our lives when we're authentically connected to him. Isn't it sad, so many joyless churches? I hope when you come here, I hope this isn't a joyless church. I'm always happy to come, you know, but uh, I hope it's not joyless. And it's always difficult to watch joyless Christians. You know, I think they probably do, they give more bad press to Christianity and Christ than just about anything else. Sourpuss. People walk around, I was telling, you've heard me tell the story before when I was in college. We had this pastor, older guy. He come and he comes up and he's a big guy and he's got a preacher's voice. And he walks up to the platform and the podium. And he goes, this morning, I want to talk to you about the joy of the Lord. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and all of his colleagues, I mean, we were lost. You know, we were rolling because we, we weren't going to listen to, you know. Uh, but, because, you know, he just, his, his demeanor didn't match what he was talking about. The joy of the Lord. Probably good to smile a little bit maybe, you know. I love what this syndicated columnist wrote. She went to church one Sunday and she wrote this afterwards. I was intent on the smile of a, of a small child who was turning around and smiling at everybody. He wasn't spitting, humming, or kicking, or carrying hymnals, or rummaging through his mother's purse. Just smiling. Finally, his mother jerked him and in a stage whisper that could be heard in a small theater said, Stop that grinning, you're in church. And with that, she gave him a belt and tears rolled down his little cheeks as she added, that's better. Hmm. Uh, we sing, make a joyful noise unto the Lord while our faces reflect the sadness of one who has just buried a rich aunt who left everything to her pregnant hamster. <laughs> Suddenly I was angry as it occurred to me that the whole world is in tears. And if you're not, you better get with it. 
I wanted to grab this little child with a tear-stained face. I wanted to bring him close to me. I wanted to tell about my God, my happy, joyful God, one who smiles. The God who had a sense of humor to have created people like us, I wanted to tell him that he is so understanding, that he understands little children who pick their noses in church because they're bored. He understands the man who sits in the parking lot and reads the Sunday paper and comics while his wife attends. He even understands my shallow prayers that implore, Lord, if you can't make me thin, then please make my friends look fat. (laughs) I love that. See, how many people just have such a bad interpretation of God? Friends, Jesus wants to infuse our lives, his church, our lives, your wife, with genuine, authentic joy. That doesn't mean we can't grieve at appropriate times. But joyful people know that they're loved. You realize the extent that God has loved you. When Jesus says, I've loved you as the Father has loved me, remain in my love. And you say, well, P.T., this kind of sounds a little familiar to last week. But see, it ties in again, not just to the love of God, but to the, the joy. How many of us know, I love going home. Because it doesn't matter what kind of a scoundrel I've been. I know Trina will be there to greet me and to express her love to me. And that changes everything. It changes the way I walk into our home. It changes the way I leave our home in the morning. Some of the most joyless, broken down, depressed people in this world and in the church are people who have never experienced love from the most important people in their lives and they feel unloved. But when love breaks through, it becomes one reality. It is a game changer. It brings healing. It brings health and it brings wholeness. It does amazing things to people's lives. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 2, that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Huh? What, what an interesting set of words. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Do you know what that joy was that was set before him? The joy set before him was you. It was me. It was humanity. Think about it this way. Jesus is, uh, he's walking, he's carrying his cross through the Via Del Rosa. And as he's walking, he's thinking, I'm beat, I'm dying, I'm, I'm, oh, Terry, yeah, I'm going to die for him. Chris, I'm going to make it. The joy, it's going to keep me going. For Ed, I'm dying for them. And they're going to get to know joy. They're going to get to know eternal life. They're going to get to know forgiveness. They're going to be able to be infused. See, that's what joy does. In the most difficult time of Jesus' life, it says he embraced joy. And if you're missing out on that kind of love, maybe you've just never experienced it or received that kind in your life. Or maybe some of us have forgotten how loved we are by God. And if you say, well, it's kind of a, sounds similar to last week. Well, you know what? A lot of us just don't get it. We're still on this do plan, trying to do everything ourselves. And we forget what God has done for us. Because see, joyful people are deeply loved people. And joyful people also tend to be very loving people. Have you ever noticed that? 
I mean, who wants to run around with Debbie and Donnie Downer? I used to be able to run with a lot of those people, but I'll tell you what, my life now, it's really hard. I've only got so much energy. And when I get in those situations, I'll try and infuse a little bit of hope and joy. But if I can't, man, I extricate myself very quickly. That's between you and God now. Because everybody, most of us, outside of the medical condition, we can, we can choose Jesus and joy. He said it, I commend you to love one another in the same way that I love you. It's interesting, this flow of thought that he says here. He says, remain in my love. You will overflow with my joy. Then you're going to love each other. Do you see that? Joy is sandwiched in between. As we experience the love of Christ, we experience joy. And because of that joy, we get to go and we get to give love to the people around us in our relational orbit. Love's the key. Everything of these fruit flow from our love from God. So Paul writes from his prison cell, always be full of joy. You know what? He's chained to a guard 24-7. The guard goes with him wherever he goes. But from Paul's perspective, he thinks, hey, this isn't a Debbie a Donnie Downer. This is a captive audience. And it says in chapter 1 that he began to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and what happens? It says the whole Praetorian Guard heard about it. Do you realize that the Praetorian Guard was made up of 9,000 hand-picked soldiers? Talk about the potential and possibility of a wonderful and delightful revival. But why did they know about the love of God? Because one guy sitting in a dank, dark, stinky prison cell chained to another guy 24-7 decided that because he was loved, because this God of grace, Jesus Christ, bowled him over off a horse years earlier and showed him and revealed to him the love of God, he said, ha, huh. I can experience joy in this situation and I can share the good news here with him and love these guards today. Now, maybe some of us in this room, you're chained 24-7 to an imperfect body with a serious debilitating illness that has slowed you down you got options. You can be bitter or you can be down or you can make life more difficult or like Paul. You can say, I'm going to take these chains. I'm going to find a way to love people and I'm going to touch people because God has touched me with his love. And no infirmity is going to keep me down, keep me from the joy that I can experience. Maybe some of us are stay-at-home moms. Feel chained 24-7 to your little ones. Oh, you got, you know, I mean, you, you, you go to bed at night, you got dreams of dirty diapers and dry Gerber oatmeal all over. And maybe you even got a college degree and skills and abilities and aptitudes and competencies that sometimes you think you're wasting. It's so easy to go negative. What if, what can I do? And you hear that miserable cry one more time. But maybe you go, you know what? God, remind me. This is my joy. I get to share with this little treasure how much you love them. And you get to disciple them from the crib. Maybe some of us feel chained 24-7 to this career and it's just so unfulfilling. You've been stuck. You've got a mortgage. You've got car payments. 
You've got bills. You don't see a way out. And the people you work with, they seem like the enemy. Paul could have done that. Yet he took his moment and he turned it around and he said, I'm in a spot where I can love people because I've been loved. Joyful people are loved people. Joyful people are loving people. And joyful people tend to be extremely strong. You know why? One of the biggest surprises I've seen in my ministry is people that I watch and I sit with when they die or they get close to death. And they have this peace and this strength and this joy to die is gain. Dr. Lewis Smeads, who is dead now, wrote this. You and I were created for joy, and if we miss it, we miss the reason for our existence. If our joy is honest joy, however, it must somehow be congress with human tragedy. See, this is the test of joy's integrity. Is it compatible with pain? Only the heart that hurts has the right to joy. Bottom line of what he's saying there, you pick it up. You can experience joy in the midst of your greatest pain, and you can experience great pain in the midst of your greatest joy. And that's truly the mark of a Christ follower because that's what Jesus said. 